it is good to be with you today. I want to welcome you to this gathering of Heart of Life. Uh, whether you are joining us online or one of the mission sites or a campus today, uh, we are grateful that you have chosen uh, to be here and to be together today. Let's start with this statement. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Those words were first spoken by one of the most famous preachers ever. His name was Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon's point was simply this, all real Christians are missionaries. That's his point. All real Christians are missionaries, so every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. This week, we have arrived at a very unique, I think, chapter in our journey through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14, because it shows us a, a sequence of life for a segment of time for these missionaries. They are followers of Jesus who keep moving forward with God's mission to seek and to save. And so they go from place to place. They go from experience to experience. That's what chapter 14 gives us. And it is a chance to observe the qualities in their life. Now, before we do that, though, Spurgeon's quote triggers something for me that I want to make sure we're clear on. It's something that the Bible makes clear, but, but I'm really not sure that we always make this clear. So I want to take it a step further, and I want to give you this statement. There is no difference between a Christian or a missionary or a discipler. No difference. There's no difference between a Christian or a missionary, or a discipler. If you are one, then you are all three. If you are not one, then the question is, are you any of the three? Now, let me show you where I'm coming from. You might remember Jesus said this, right? After, after the resurrection, he made this statement, Matthew chapter 20. 28, it's a very, very popular, um, right, commission that he gives us. Jesus said, therefore, go and, what does it say? Make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Now, the words are highlighted here because I want you to know that in that first big statement that Jesus makes, the instructions that he gives us, there's only one verb. That's the verb. Make disciples. That's the point. There are, along with that verb, though, three, right? We're doing English class today a little bit. There are three participles. And those three participles, right, are what help us understand how do we go about making disciples. Those participles are 
go, so it could literally be read going, as you are going, baptizing, and teaching. Those are the three participles that that modify that verb. So how do you make disciples of Jesus? Well, as you are going, wherever you are, you are testifying, you are sharing the good news of Jesus, you are inviting people to him, they trust him, you are baptizing. And then you teach them. You're teaching them that, that every, everything that Jesus has called us to do. So here's, here's, what, here's what this is about. That word making disciples is found, as far as I know, four times in the New Testament. And one of those four times is in Acts chapter 14, making disciples. Acts chapter 14, verse 21 reads like this, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. We could literally translate that, making disciples of many. That's the word. They are making disciples of many. What that means, when we read through Acts, missionaries are disciples, and, and Jesus has, has already d- d- described to us all Christians, we are to be disciplers. So if all Christians are to be disciplers and, and all missionaries are disciplers, my, my point that we're making here today, there is no difference between a Christian or a missionary or a discipler. Sometimes I think people have the idea that, okay, you put your trust in Jesus and we're all Christians. Everybody who trusts him were Christians. But then there are some Christians who excel to be missionaries. They kind of take another step forward, and they are, they are missionaries. And then we sort of think, well, there are other Christians who take a step forward, and they are disciplers. And I want us to just blow up that whole picture today. No, Christians are missionaries, are disciples. You don't pick and choose which one you are. Sometimes I think our idea of missions is sort of like having a half-brother. We know that he's a part of the family, but he's sort of out there somewhere, somewhere sitting beside a straw hut translating the Bible into another language. We know it exists, but it's, it's out there somewhere. Sometimes I think our idea of a discipler one who makes disciples is sort of like a tenured professor, right? Somebody who has a a theological degree, they have dedicated years of their life to following Jesus, and now they are qualified because they are more knowledgeable than others. Listen to me. You are not a discipler because you took some Bible classes. And you are not a missionary because you joined a missionary organization. You are both a discipler and a missionary because you are in God's family by grace through faith in Jesus. Everybody in the house that's for real in terms of Christianity is a missionary and a discipler. Therefore, I want us to see that we don't just read Acts chapter 14 and go, well, cool, that's good information. No, we read Acts chapter 14 going, this applies to us. You may not be traveling the world, 
doesn't matter. Because mission is not about the place. Mission is about the people in every place. So today, I, I just the, the image for me is a mirror. I didn't bring a big one today because big mirrors on stage do freaky things with the lights, right? Camera guys love it, I'm sure. So I, I just brought a little one just enough to give us the imagery today that when we hold up Acts chapter 14 today, it's really like holding up a mirror For us, what are the qualities of those who follow Jesus as missionaries, as disciples, as Christians? Because those same qualities can be ours. They can be yours. Let me show you what I mean. Acts chapter 1, let's take a look at how this story begins Remember, Paul and Barnabas and this group that's with them, they have, been, they have been sent out from Antioch. We're picking up the story, verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. So we got Jews and Gentiles. But... The Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. The first quality that I want you to see today in the lives of these missionaries, these disciples, these Christians, it is, the, it, it is the quality that we have seen show up over and over in the book of Acts, so it's where we start. They speak boldly for Jesus. That's what you do. Christians, missionaries, disciples, they speak boldly for Jesus. The story here is they preach the good news. Some people believe, but not everybody. And those who don't, they stir up trouble to the point that the city is divided. There is then persecution, a very organized attack against them to the point that they want to stone them. Remember, stoning is to death. So Paul and Barnabas, it says in this story, they are bold when the pushback happens. They stay for a considerable amount of time. But right before the stones start flying, they what? They flee. They run. Now, that might lead some people to say, well, that doesn't sound very bold to me. It's because you're not there, right? Stones aren't flying at you. Oh, well, they, they run? But I'm just going to remind you in the big context of what's going on here, that there was instruction given by Jesus that sometimes you're going to enter a town and they don't welcome you. There's a time to move on. And we're going to see this pattern over and over in these missionary journeys. 
But also I want you to notice, when they move to the next town, anybody want to guess what this crew is doing? Preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. That's because they're bold. They move to the next town, which might be a safe spot to go, man, we, we got out of that. Let's just keep our mouth shut and lay low. No, they go to the next town and they do the very same thing they did in this town that got them in trouble. They are proclaiming the gospel. By the time we get to verse 21 in this chapter, we also find out that Paul and Barnabas do a circle and they're actually going to head right back to this same city that tried to stone them. And again, they're going to tell them about Jesus. I'm saying that's boldness. And that is the quality that is present in the real followers of Jesus, those in whom the Spirit of God actually lives. When there's pushback, there's boldness. Speaking of the Spirit, let me give you the second one. We also find that they employ their spirit-given gifts. That's what we see of these Christians, these missionaries, these disciples. Throughout this chapter, we see them preaching, we see them teaching, um, we see gifts of healing, we see administration is going to come up in the story later on. All of those in the Bible are described as gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. When you become a follower of Jesus, he gifts you, he empowers you. There are many different gifts. I want to, to just remind us what you see this group of people doing in the city in which they're in is also what they were doing way back when they started in Antioch. The point is they were doing the same things wherever they went. This is not a group of people sitting around waiting for a call. No, they just keep doing what God has shaped them to do wherever they are. I, I first started picking up on this principle back in chapter 9. Back in chapter 9, it talks about Peter who is traveling. And it says in chapter 9, verse 32, that as Peter traveled about the country, as he traveled about the country, then God suddenly put him in this place called Lydda. And God did something miraculous, and a big bunch of people put their trust in Jesus. Then God put him in a place called Joppa. God did something miraculous, and a big bunch of people put their faith in Jesus. We see a couple of times that what we would call revival breaks out. But the point is, that happened as Peter was what? Just going about the country. The point is, he's doing this wherever he goes, he just does what he's built to do, and out of that, God does even more. I want to encourage you today to just keep rolling with God every day. Every day, living out the gifts that he's given you to point other people to him, and then don't be shocked when sometimes God will speak something specifically to you saying, I want you to go here and do the same thing. But when you don't hear him say, go here and do the same thing, do the same thing here. Stop waiting for a call. Do what he's shaped you to do right where you are. And then when he moves you somewhere else, you just keep doing the same thing. It's a quality that are found 
in the real followers, the real Christians, the missionaries, the disciples. Let me give you a third. We also see that they count on God's power. They count on God's power. Here's why I say that to you. Let's pick it up with verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, I understand that many of us feel and would say, and I'm with you, like, I don't have the same level of healing power that was given to the Apostle Paul in this time. I don't. Although, I think many of us may have more of that than we think we do. Many of us are just hesitant to ever engage people who are hurting and actually praying for them to be well, so we don't even know what God might want to do through some of our lives. I'm not saying you put on a show. I'm just saying some of us might be a little more awakened to the power of God's healing even through our lives if we engage those who are hurting and have enough courage to count on the power of God. But even if we take healing out of the mix, I want to ask you the question, what about the power of God to share your faith? And what about the power of God to disciple someone? Like, should we question whether or not we have such power? Jesus already said, right? You will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to be my witnesses. He, he says, you're going to make disciples. He's already, do you ever wonder if God is frustrated waiting for us to act in the power that he's already promised to give us. You don't have to wonder if God gives you power to witness or to disciple because Jesus' followers believe what he has promised. You will have power. You got it. You can count on the power of God. Let's keep rolling. Number four, they remember who they are. These Christians, these missionaries, these disciples, they remember who they are. Here's why I say that. Verse 11, the story is when the crowd saw what Paul had done, what had just happened? Miracle, man healed. They shouted in the, in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Paul and Barnabas are standing in an opportunity where they can be treated as gods. I know a bunch of people in our world who are constantly looking for that scenario. Verse 12 goes on to tell us that they, they, they called Barnabas Zeus and they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now here's what I think is helpful to know. There is a little history, there's a little story in the background of why 
I believe this took place. There was a tradition there in Lystra that long ago, and it's just this story, it didn't really happen, you understand, but it's this story that Zeus and Hermes had visited the town. And the story is they visited the town, but they didn't show up looking like gods. They just showed up looking like everyday men because they wanted to see if the people in Lystra really were true worshipers. So they they went around town asking for food and lodging. Hey, two guys passing through town, would you give us food and lodging? And nobody would do it except for two old, poor peasants. They gave them food and lodging. And the story is they were spared. The rest of the town was destroyed. Those two peasants were made guardians of the temple there in Lystra. And when they died, they became two large living trees right? That sounds like good reward, right? I don't know. I'm just telling you the story. The point is, when Paul and Barnabas show up, it seems to be that the people think this is another test. Now, however foolish we might determine that to be, what a temptation for real. I mean, Paul and Barnabas get chased out of town on a regular basis. And suddenly they've got an audience who wants to treat them like gods. What an opportunity to just kind of roll with that. Like what a temptation to say, you know what, let's just play this for a little bit. Let's get what, what, what we can get out of this, knowing that we can still, in the end, declare who Jesus is. Now, here's what they actually say. Verse 15, I'm just going to read you a piece of it. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Just a side note, I think it's interesting. This is one of those places that Paul doesn't start with the Old Testament in his argument with them because these people don't know the Old Testament. He starts with what we would call natural revelation, if you will. What they are quite aware of is that this big old world, some, something has to be behind all of that. And so Paul starts with the God who makes everything, the God who brings rain, the God who provides food. Back to the point. We keep moving forward following God's mission to seek and to save always with humility. Listen to me. The path through which God works is always humility. We remember who we are and we remember who we're not. Jesus humbled himself as a servant And he very clearly told us to do the same. Real followers of Jesus declare the greatness of God, not the greatness of ourselves. Number five, the qualities in these real Christians, real missionaries, real disciplers, 
they persist. They persist. I love this part of the story. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. This time we don't just have rocks flying out. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now I want to make sure we understand when it says they come from Iconium, they're coming from Antioch, we, we got people who have traveled 120 miles, which I understand that 120 miles doesn't sound like a whole lot in our day, but in that day, 120 miles is numerous days journey. It is not just that they don't want Paul and Barnabas in this city. They don't want Paul and Barnabas alive, and they are chasing them down. Now, sometimes what we see in Scripture is sometimes when it gets to the point of of death that is threatened, sometimes the Jesus followers are able to escape and run to the next place. And then at the next place, they just start preaching Jesus again. But sometimes, and apparently it is the case this time, there's no chance to run. They stone Paul. Drag him outside the city, probably, probably body on the garbage dump. That's how it was normally done. But check out verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up. He got up and he went back into the city. And the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. He got up. Like, doesn't this seem like a really big story to just be summarized by he got up? I mean, just like a few little, like this is one of those things I'm hoping we get the replay in heaven. This is one of those, I'm like, I want to see this. I I, want to know what, what that looked like on that day. Stoned. The rocks thrown at him. Sometimes those were just people picking up rocks and throwing them at at people until they literally killed them. Other times they would start that way, and then sometimes they would roll a big stone off of a cliff and actually crush people. Both ways we know were used in that day. One of the questions is, was Paul dead? And I don't think it's a crazy question. A lot of really good conservative scholars will question that Certainly the people thought he was dead. You normally didn't stop stoning until somebody was dead. We don't know. Again, we'll find out when we get to heaven. But what we do know is that he got up. He just got up. And then he walked right back in. I'm saying that would make one of the best movies of all time. Just walked right back into the very same city. And the next day, he goes to Derby. You know what that means? He walked 30 miles. And eventually, he would keep this journey going all the way back around to Antioch. To me, this looks like the actions of a man who isn't, afraid 
to die. Maybe it kind of reminds me of Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? Dead and then alive. It's sort of like if you've been dead, what are they going to do to you? There is something powerful about Lazarus. There appears to there's something powerful about It's like once you've been dead, like what can, what can you do? The promise of Jesus is not that we will not face trouble. The promise of Jesus is I am with you always. I want to pause here just for a second. And I want to speak to our team that is in Togo right now. I'm hoping that uh, they're being able to, to join with us. Hopefully the Wi-Fi is good enough to, to keep that rolling. There are four of them who are still waiting there to come home, waiting for all the tests to clear. And I just want to encourage you guys to recognize that from the beginning, struggle has always been a part of the mission. It always has. And I think you know this. You shouldn't even be surprised if perhaps you get back home and uh, somebody, most likely in a passive kind of way, um, there might even be a little criticism, to be honest. You know, it's sort of the, man, maybe you actually shouldn't have gone on such a trip. I, I want you to know that that's why you're there because you know what to do with, with that kind of, you know what to do with that. Paul and Barnabas are exactly where the Holy Spirit told them to be, doing exactly what the Holy Spirit told them to do, and there is struggle. You are exactly where God told you to be, doing exactly what God told you to do. Do we recognize what God has been doing even in the time that you're there, a school that is, that is going to be started, that is going to declare the goodness of Jesus across an entire village of children who, who otherwise are going to grow up in a Muslim setting. You, you have had the chance to encourage churches while you are there that they will keep moving forward with Jesus' mission to seek and to save. You have been a part of, of, of some, some on-the-point on the new preaching sites, perhaps, that are going to take place. Even, even in you being there, a medical mission trip has stirred for the future. Here's the truth I know. We already know in the time that you have been there, there will be more people in heaven than before you went on this trip. And only heaven knows how many will be there as a result of what God has done through your lives in these weeks. You may be far from us, but you are not far from Jesus his promise still stands. He is with you. My encouragement for you today is keep standing strong. Keep fighting forward. I know 
how strong my brother Kevin is. I have experienced his strength in my life personally. But brother, we continue to pray for you as you lead, just as you continue to sense and see God's guidance and that he gives you boldness. And to the ladies there, I can't tell you how proud I am of you. We often say the safest place you can be is where God tells you to be, doing what God tells you to do. I know that a lot of people say that, but very few people actually live that. You have chosen to move from faith of simply being a story on some pages that we read to a story of faith that God is writing in your lives. You are strong in Jesus. Keep fighting forward, and we love you, and we will see you soon. Number six, these real Christians, real missionaries, real disciplers, they follow up. They follow up. We're about to land the plane, so hang on. They follow up, all right? Let's read it in verse 21. Check out what it says. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They returned. Told you. Here's our words. We'll come back and get these. I'll give them to you. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Hmm. Maybe I should preach a sermon on health and wealth. Like how does anybody ever do that when it's this clear? We will go through struggles. Let's keep going. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So what's happening here is they've, they've made the loop and now they're going back. They're, they're going back through a second time to these cities, some of them who literally ran them out of town by trying to kill them. But they meet with those who have put their trust in Jesus and now they're going to follow up. So just real quick, you're like, what does follow up look like? This is fast. I'm not going to just elaborate too much, but here's what follow up looks like. Four steps. One, it says they strengthen them. It is a word that means to make solid. All all throughout scripture how do you strengthen and make solid you do that with God's word it talks about standing on a solid rock right that that that's the imagery that's how you follow up with people it's how you disciple people you strengthen them in God's word you encourage them then in the faith you encourage them in right behavior come on those of you who you follow Jesus you started reading God's word, but man, did it make a difference when somebody came alongside you and said, all right, let's walk it out. Nope, we're going to walk it out like he says walk it out. Third, they connect them in community. It says that they appoint elders. They, they help to give some structure to those new churches. They're helping them get connected in a healthy, healthy relationship and healthy community. And then four, it says they entrust them to Jesus. I love that part. 
Some of us like to do all that other work and then we're still hanging on to all that, believing that somehow those new believers are all dependent on our strength and our, no, you, you in the end, you entrust them to the one who actually holds them all the way through. I told you last week, there might be some people who would say, we have no business moving on to the next town until we fully disciple everyone in this town who's already believed. And I would say that that really makes a lot of sense, except that ain't how God usually does it. Because he will start something, and then he will circle back around, and he will build that up again, and he'll circle back around, and he'll build that up again. You don't start something and run it to perfection before you start the next thing when it comes to the church but always, always, there's follow-up. One more, number seven. They share what God has done with other disciples. They share what God has done with other disciples. Verse 27. They've come back on arriving there. They gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. They share their story so that others will be encouraged by what God is doing. And what I have observed is it is often those are the settings where you see God stir the next wave of believers who recognize that if they are Christians, then they are missionaries, and if they are missionaries, then they are disciples. It is often the setting from which God will stir the next wave to go. I'm going to keep saying this. I started it last week in what we read in the story in chapter 13, Paul recognized and communicated God's connection in every circumstance. In everything, he sees God at work. What these people do is they come back and they share with the believers, hey, here's where we saw God at work. Here's all the things that we saw God do. We need, need a continual recognition of God's activity in all our circumstances. And listen to me, we need to hear that even more than we need to hear about COVID. Now listen to what I'm going to say. Please don't twist it. Every week I beg you don't twist it when we get to this point. What if every time I choose to read or watch something about COVID, and I'm saying there's a part of that that's necessary, my opinion. There needs to be some information that's accurate. There needs to be instruction. That's I, I, so every time I choose to read or watch something related to COVID, what if I refuse to read or watch the next thing until I communicate something of God's activity also going on in my life at that point? You understand what I'm saying? So you take in some COVID info, and then you dish out some God info. And you might say, that's weird. 
And I say, yes, it is. But I think the reason it's weird is because we are so missing the mark on this. I am not saying don't be informed about what's going on in our culture in terms of the sickness and what. I'm just saying we need to do more informing of what God is doing in our culture. Both need to be present. I realize that it may feel odd to do that, but sometimes you got to take some odd action to help us when we are feeding our mind out of balance. It's out of balance. And we need to be reminded daily of what God is doing around us and for each other. That's what we're supposed to do. I want to encourage you, stay informed. You got to read the articles. You got to listen at times to what's being said when it comes to our culture and all that's going on. I want to encourage you to take it then to a next level in terms of communicating what God is doing around us. Let me close with just something beautiful that I want to read to you. It goes like this. Once more, he who really has this high estimate of Jesus will think much of him. And as the thoughts are sure to run over at the mouth, he will talk much of him. Do we so? If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it to your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Be wise in your generation. And speak of him in fitting ways and at fitting times. And so in every place proclaim the fact that Jesus is most precious to your soul. Spurgeon. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? When you hold up Acts chapter 14... What do you see? I want to, don't see this as shame. See this as encouragement. Because you get to share the goodness of God. You are set apart and empowered to share the goodness of God. And so the point is, you get to share it with your children. You get to share it with your spouse. You get to share it with your friends. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with everyone. Some, you are speaking for the first time this good news of how Jesus saves. To many, on an everyday opportunity, you get to speak of the preciousness of who Jesus is to you and whatever struggle they may be going through, whatever size of giant they seem to face. 
face. That good news of a Jesus who is still with us, a Jesus who will never leave us, a Jesus who empowers us for such mission, you will lift them up. God still empowers his kids to share his goodness. He promised. He promised. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the mirror today. A chapter that you would see to be written down and protected. A chapter that in your grace you would allow us to have today. God, that leaves no doubt the picture of what you have said very clearly in Scripture, God, We who are your children, we are missionaries, we are disciplers. It is not that we get to be one and leave the other to someone else. It is not that somehow we qualify for one and one day we'll earn the other. God, you have declared this is who we are. And so I'm asking today, God, as we hold up the mirror of your word, that across this room, God, across uh, the, the, the span of, of, of being able to, to speak into to sights that I'm not even aware of today, God, there would be a recognition if we are not for real, that today you would draw our hearts to say, God, we want to be real with you. God, we want this relationship to be real with you. God, I pray that you would give courage to those right now who know that whatever game they have been playing, God, this can be real. And today you would give them courage to call out to you in faith. A Jesus who died for sin and rose again. God, today, May relationships be real with you. God, I pray for your kids today that this wouldn't be something of shame, but God, it, it, would, it would cause us to want to jump and to shout. God, you have empowered us to speak boldly for Jesus, to employ our spirit-given gifts. God, to count on your power, to remember who we are, to persist in the struggle, to follow up with those who believe and to share. God, even with one another, our brothers and sisters, what you have done. God, will you stir our hearts and may the stirring of our hearts overflow. God, from our lips, God, our hands, our feet, may our lives sing Jesus. In all that we do, may we sing Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.